Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. My friends, we were made to know and be known Without the pain and separation of sin, we were made to follow the Lord of all creation. Welcome, my friends, to today's part of our journey through the Bible together, reading every bit of it with a big picture in mind and considering our own life and work stories in light of that, including an absolutely stellar reminder today of our ultimate hope. More on this later. In our New Testament segment today, we're going to catch a section of Ephesians that speaks to holy living, including something that you will instantly recognize as something that causes a bit of consternation in culture and even the church. And my exhortation is this. What does it mean to be consistent in how we interpret or apply the Bible? I'll explain what I mean on the other side. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any kind of impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, 
hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart, as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched, as people-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude, as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. And my friends, that gets us up through chapter 6, verse 9. Did you catch that last part? Useful to remember. All authority is delegated from God. Therefore, we are all responsible before God with what we do with authority. Every person has authority delegated by God. We all have some role or roles in society, right? Remember this when we think of this culturally. The answer to bad authority isn't no authority. It's righteously accountable, lovingly spiritual authority. And here's that interpretation thing. I don't slip in too many lessons like this. I usually save those for the practice the way or always be ready segments. Would we ever say, oh, children and parents need to be mutually submissive to each other? Uh, Boss and employee, they need to be mutually submissive to one another. No one 
reads this passage in Ephesians and makes that argument. So Paul here is using multiple examples to make the same point about the fact that we're all followers and we're all leaders. And if we're going to be consistent in how we interpret the Bible, we would have to include husbands and wives in that same pattern that he has just used multiple examples for. Interestingly, then, as we turn to our Old Testament segment, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel are his vision of a restored Israel, including, if not particularly, orderly and pure worship. Almost 20 years earlier, Ezekiel had a vision of God's glory leaving the Jerusalem temple, right? That's a big deal, (laughs) particularly in light of where we started today with that image from the end of Revelation, right? The end of the whole Bible. What's the ultimate blessing? To know and be known with no fear with God. So the temple then was subsequently destroyed by the Babylonians. And now through another vision, Ezekiel is witnessing God's glory, or as you'll hear it today, is witnessing God's glory returning to the city and taking up residence in the new temple. My friends, it is no small thing because it's actually a promise of restoration and transformation in in the direction of the very thing we were created for, the ultimate hope. Ezekiel chapter 41. And just a reminder, just in case this is your first time around here, every once in a while, in a couple spots in the Bible, we do verbal skimming. You'll hear what I mean. Next, he brought me into the great hall and measured the jams. On each side, of the, the width of the jam was ten and a half feet. The width of the entrance was this, the side walls were that, and a whole bunch of additional measurements. And he said to me, This is the most holy place. Next section, outside the temple. Then he measured the wall of the temple. It was ten and a half feet thick. The width of the side rooms all around was the temple was seven feet. The side rooms were arranged one above another in three stories of 30 rooms each. There were ledges on the wall of the temple all around to serve as supports for the side rooms so that the supports would not be in the temple wall itself. The side rooms surrounding the temple widened at each successive story for the structure surrounding the temple went up by stages. This was the reason for the temple's broadness as it rose and so one would go up from the lowest story to the highest by means of the middle one. I saw that the temple had a raised platform surrounding it, and it had a bunch of measurements. The side rooms opened into the free space, one entrance toward the north and another to the south. The area of the free space was eight and three quarters feet wide all around. Now, the building that faced the temple yard toward the west was 122 and a half feet wide, Uh, And then the man measured the temple. It was 175 feet long. In addition, the temple yard and the building, including its walls, were 175 feet long. And next section, interior wooden structures. The interior of the great wall and the porticos of the court, the thresholds, the beveled windows, and the balconies all around there with their three levels opposite the threshold were overlaid with wood on all sides. They were paneled from the ground to the windows but the windows were not covered, reaching to the top of the entrance and as far as the inner temple and on the outside. On every wall, all around, on the inside and the outside, 
was a pattern carved with cherubim and palm trees. There was a palm tree between each pair of cherubim. Each cherub had two faces, a human face turned toward the palm tree on one side and a lion's face turned toward it on the other. They were carved throughout the temple on all sides. Cherubim and palm trees were carved from the ground to the top of the entrance and on the wall of the great hall. The doorposts of the great hall were square and the front of the sanctuary had the same appearance, more measurements, and then the man told me, this is the table that stands before the Lord. The great hall and the sanctuary each had two, uh, a double door and each of the doors had two swinging panels. There were two panels for one door and two for the other. Cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the great hall like those carved on the walls. There was a wooden canopy outside in front of the portico. There were beveled windows and palm trees on both sides, on the sides of the walls of the portico, the side rooms of the temple, and the canopies. Next section, the priest's chambers. Then the man led me out by way of the north gate into the outer court. He brought me to the group of chambers opposite the temple yard and opposite the building to the north. Along the length of the chambers, which was 175 feet, there was an entrance to the north, the width of which was 87 and a half feet opposite. And then there's a whole bunch of additional measurements. In the thickness of the wall of the court toward the south, there were chambers facing the temple yard and the western building with a passageway in front of them. Their length and width, as well as all their exits, measurements, and entrances were identical. The entrance at the beginning of the passageway the way in front of the corresponding wall as one enters the east side was similar to the entrances of the chambers that were on the south side. And then the man said to me, the northern and southern chambers that face the courtyard are the holy chambers where the priests who approach the Lord will eat the most holy offerings. There they will deposit the most holy offerings, the grain offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings, for the place is holy. Once the priests have entered, they are not to go out of the holy area to the outer court until they have removed the clothes that they minister in, for these are holy. They are to put on other clothes before they approach the public area. Next section, Outer Dimensions of the Temple Complex. When he finished measuring the inside temple complex, he led me out by way of the gate that faced east, measured all around the complex. He measured the east side with a measuring rod, and it was 875 feet by the measuring rod, same on the north, same on the south, same on the west. He measured the temple complex on all four sides. It had a wall around it, 875 feet long and wide, to separate the holy from the common. My friends, do you catch this? There's a separation of holy and common. Why? Because God's perfect holiness can't allow sin, right? That's the big deal about heaven. Final section. Return of the Lord's glory. He led me to the gate, the one that faces east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice sounded like the roar of a huge torrent, and the earth shone with his glory. The vision I saw was like the one I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the ones I had seen by the Kibar Canal. I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by way of the gate that faced east. Then the Spirit, capital S, then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While I was, 
The man was standing beside me. I heard someone speak to me from the temple. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet where I dwell among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel and their kings will no longer defile my holy name by their religious prostitution and by the corpses of their kings at their high places. Whenever they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts with only a wall between me and them, they were defiling my holy name by the detestable acts they committed. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them remove their prostitution and the corpses of their kings far from me, and I will dwell with them forever. As for you, son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel Catch this, friends. Describe the temple to the house of Israel so that they may be ashamed of their iniquities. Let them measure its pattern, and they will be ashamed of all that they have done. Reveal the design of the temple to them, its layout with its exits and entrances, its complete design along with all its statutes, design specifications, and laws, and write it down in their sight so that they may observe its complete design and all its statutes and may carry them out. This is the law of the temple. All its surrounding territory on top of the mountain will be especially holy. Yes, this is the law of the temple. And that gets us up through chapter 43, verse 12. My friends, I hope you caught that somehow God's order and design for things is not only a revelation of who he is but it reveals to us who we are and hence our theme today we were made to know and be known without the pain and separation of sin and of course to follow or serve the Lord the king, the creator. Turning to our Old Testament, or wisdom segment, I should say, every verse of this psalm, which is Psalm 135, either echoes, quotes, or is quoted by some other part of Scripture. Alongside these familiar and great passages, it builds up its own coherent structure of praise, beginning and ending with a worship call to Israel, which the main body of the psalm substantiates by con- contrasting the true sovereign and redeemer with the helpless idols of the heathen. You can see how it fits in our theme today. Psalm 135. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his treasured possession. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. He causes clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from its storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both people and animals. He sent signs and wonders against you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his officials. He struck down many nations and slaughtered mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, 
Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Lord, your name endures forever, your reputation, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And the idols of the nation are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. House of Israel, bless the Lord. House of Aaron, bless the Lord. House of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He dwells in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Psalm 135. My friends, we must be careful to take captive, do battle with the ideas and patterns of this world that include disorder, disease, and death that wasn't part of God's design. Remember, the answer to bad authority isn't no authority. It's righteously accountable, lovingly spiritual authority. Because we were made to know and be known without the pain and separation of sin and following the Lord of all creation. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.